0: I felt like if I could give everything away for the most part, some stuff I won't share unless you're an agent, but <laughs> 97% of it, I share. If, if I gave that away, people are going to naturally pick up on the fact that I care about helping people. And that if I'm giving away this free information, this information freely, imagine what it's like working with this guy on a partnership basis. And then if you compare that to my competition who give nothing away that show off the big cars, the Ferraris, the fat stacks of cash, I look, I think I come out a lot better looking and sounding than the try typical boring old rah-rah pitch. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that strategy work beautifully well.
1: Today on the show, I have the pleasure of interviewing David Duford. David is a national insurance agency owner in the US specializing in the senior market for life and health insurance. He is an author of three best-selling insurance sales books and has over 18,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel dedicated to helping insurance agents around the world become top producers. I'm really excited and pumped to have him on the show today to share his incredible knowledge and story with us, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, David. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Greetings and salutations, Reed. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, <laughs> mate. My pleasure. Where are you dialing in from today? Chattanooga, Tennessee. You know oh, where that is. I love it. Yes, I do know where that is. It's blowing up
0: right now, right? I hear a I lot Good stuff. You about. can't buy a home, and my house has gone up fifty percent in the last couple of years. I can't complain. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I, uh,
1: my, my, funny. Coincidentally enough, my wife used to work for a uh, when Tesla was first coming out, a a, a a community car called Green Commuter, and they would. They would the idea was to take people from their homes and do like a carpool share thing and then pick them up, drop them off at an office park and then the car could be used as a you know an Uber for the next uh, you know for the day then take people home. And the first pilot trial was actually in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which I was really quite, I was quite surprised about. I thought, oh, okay it's very very
0: forward of Chattanooga, but I guess they're trying to be green and apparently okay. it's really cycle friendly
1: in Chattanooga as
0: well. Yeah, there's, there's bikes laying around everywhere. You can just <laughs> rent them, ride them around for the day, put them back in the rack, wherever you end up. So yeah, awesome. a lot of that stuff going on. Awesome, mate. Well, look, enough
1: out of that. Um, let's start the show. And when I, I ask all my guests that come on this show is rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid.
0: Let's see. I think it was from my first ever retail job. I worked at a company called Goodies, a family retailer, you know, sell clothes and stuff. I think they're pretty much gone now. And uh, that was my first real job. So, I just got started like most people do, work for somebody else. Got it. Got it. And now, walk us through
1: your journey into entrepreneurship. In the green room, before we press record here, you're talking about sole entrepreneurship. Right. Your niche is in the insurance business. But maybe from a high-level point of view, how did you, you stumble across becoming an entrepreneur and wanting to work for yourself?
0: I've always been an introvert And I never really played well with people. (laughs) I never liked the idea of working for somebody else and kind of following their particular standards that I didn't maybe necessarily agree with. And I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so it was kind of born in the blood. That's kind of how I look at it. So I remember doing studying abroad in London at one point, and I was creating my business plan at the time for personal training. And uh, yeah, it was just, I don't know, I, I didn't like the corporate mindset, the corporate way of life. I wanted to kind of burn my own path and and create. It was just a part of me that I can't deny.
1: And, and talk to me about that because burning your own path is something that I definitely, uh, you know, assimilate with in terms of, you know, my journey coming to the United States. But what what didn't you like about was just the control factor that you didn't didn't resonate with the the, the, the the grind, the sort of groundhog day that you kept going back in the office wearing a suit and tie every single day, or is just purely the fact you didn't like working with other people?
0: <laughs> I think it was really just that simple. I mean, right. I, I'm, I only, I've only had like one real corporate job and that was after I failed out my second business, which we can talk about, but sure. I only worked in corporate America for a year and that confirmed all my disdain pretty quickly, actually. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, uh, you know, I think a lot of it was just there's just something inside of me that I can't explain. I just a creative drive. I, I have to do something with it. And, and entrepreneurship is the outlet.
1: And did you did your family growing up have any influence over that, you know, uh, innate ability to try
0: and go out and create something from nothing? Oh, yeah. I mean, my my grandfather ran a commercial HVAC company in Detroit back in the 50s through the 80s before he retired. Um, my uncle was one of the creators of XM Radio back in, I don't wow. know if you're yeah. old enough to remember that, <laughs> but XM Radio uh, really started, I think, in the late 90s, early aughts. And then my father was very successful chemical manufacturer. at had a couple of plants. So it's, it's just, that, you know, I just come from that. And it's just kind of what you do. You know, I mm-hmm. was a man in the family, basically. <laughs> as you're saying, burn your own path. But but tell us yeah. about that first business
1: and how it failed and, and, and sure. why did it fail?
0: So I graduated college. I went to Boston University, uh, uh, got back home to Tennessee as quickly as possible. Because if you've ever lived through a winter up there, you like want to leave. <laughs> I, have, I have. <laughs> have you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't have a job. I didn't have prospects. I answered a, an ad in the paper about uh, a, a local business. Uh, uh, fitness company wanted to do a satellite location. So I, I did my best pitch to get kind of an affiliation set up. They didn't take me. I proved myself over time when the first guy they hired failed out and I took it over, started doing well. My first partnership don't like partnerships because after six or seven months of that, that didn't quite work out. So at that point I went completely solo on my own. I had a personal training gym. We specialized in what we call small group personal training. So at the time it was one-on-one high price stuff, I kind of took the middle ground where it was like a two or three person training session and half the time. So the pitch to the client was, hey, you don't have to spend an hour doing a workout. You just do 30 minutes. We'll give you the same results. And we do it at half or a third of the cost because we've got multiple people in here offsetting, you know, the, the cost. And it was higher revenue for me. It was really, I thought, a pretty cool idea. I did that for five years until the Great Recession hit. And just like a lot of businesses then, especially on Main Street, we all got pummeled you know, uh, 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 personal training is a discretionary product. You don't need it right. to survive. You can just buy, you know, Tybo tapes or something, right? <laughs> we'll so, go for a walk. Uh, <laughs> Or go for a walk. a oh, God, go out <laughs> your door and move, right? So, <laughs> I felt the brunt of that and my marketing didn't work as well. It didn't produce as many leads. It didn't produce as much revenue around 2009, 2010. It was obvious at that point that this business was going under. So um, I got desperate. Uh, First of all, tried getting a real job. First level of desperation, (laughs) and then the second level of desperation, where I ended up and where I'm still at, is in the insurance business. And uh, eventually, started there. Transitioned out of the first business, and uh, here, still here.
1: (laughs) It's here you are today. One thing I wanted to pick up on, just as you mentioned that it was. you didn't work out with your partner at your partnerships. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Cause so many people who listen to the show in real estate, you know, the reason you have partnerships in the beginning is because you essentially don't have the money to go and hire someone. Right. And you need someone who can work for free (laughs) to, to to, to, to take one of the hats off your head and you, you know, it's not all on yourself. So, just talk from your perspective in high level, if you want. You don't have to get into details. Sure. What what happened? What, why do partnerships, in your mind, don't don't work? And, and you chose the solo
0: entrepreneurship route and, and being the solo boss. Well, I mean, th- I think about it like this way, you know, in in the context of like a marriage, a partnership, sure. half of those fail, and these people allegedly love each other before they get together, right? So as far as businesses go, it's the same thing. You have two different minds that have two different visions or perspectives. They may not agree with each other on the execution of the strategy. And if you don't have a really open, honest, transparent relationship to communicate in a way that you're, you don't feel like you're gonna be taken advantage of or, or, or something like that, then you're destined to fail. And that's why I think a lot of partnerships don't work out is because one of the parties is, is just not comfortable with having open lines of communication. And that's how it was in this original partnership I had with this fitness person locally. Um, We wanted to expand, but I felt like he was stealing from me in a sense of my time and my availability. He was using me. And likewise, he thought kind of the same thing on my end. And there's probably, you know, a bit of truth in both sides. It just wasn't going to work out. And the problem becomes, well, who owns the clients, who owns the business and all the stuff that comes from that. And this is a small little business, so luckily things didn't get nasty, but this is kind of why I'm just kind of, uh eh, partnerships don't like them because unless you've got it, just an awesome open relationship and you're a master communicator, it is really hard to make work. And especially if you're going in business with a friend or worse, a spouse, <laughs> I mean, this stuff will ruin it, ruin yep. relationships. And my, my you and know, I can talk about my father. This is, Kind of happened with him and his wife. They work together, and yeah, they are divorced now. You mm. know? So um, it's something I guess on on many levels I just don't like, would rather avoid, and not even fool with. No,
1: you, you bring up really good um, perspective. You talk about friendships, and, and and from my perspective, I got a business partner, and, and I brought on a third one, and I think it's all about business partnership, or business relationship first, friendship second. You know, and, yeah. and I, and I yeah. with my business partner, I. Um, you know, we wouldn't have just ran into each other. I surf, he golfs, like we're completely <laughs> polar yeah. opposites. So but but we we had a a yin to my my yang and he and he was a yin to my yang. And so it was something that worked out. But but ultimately partnerships also evolve over time like like relationships do. And sometimes people hold on to those partnerships so much that they don't want to never let go of it because it is, it's is—it's your baby, right? you started right. something, you put everything into it, you put all the emotions, the sweat, the guts, you know, the, the tears and, and the money, right? And then all of a sudden it could come to an end, you know, as, as you were saying, but that's – some people also need to just lean into that and be like, that's okay. It's just the evolution of who I am as an entrepreneur and who I am as a business leader is that I may want to go forge a different path. And, and for those people listening out there, that is completely fine if you're coming to that stuff and don't know that – as you, I love that you mentioned before. Fifty percent of marriages break up. I think at least fifty percent of partnerships break up. So it's it's yeah. it's, it's kind of inevitable.
0: As, as well, I, I guess I, you made the good point. You know, I, I looking now and in, in this current state of my business, I have several business partnerships. Sure, but they're not with friends or with families or with spouses. And 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 again, I, I hit on this, and this is a lot of just personal reflection sure. and, yeah, and, yeah. and observation. It's just to me, you know, you got to separate business from pleasure. That's how I look from it. I want to keep my spouse, my spouse, first of all. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I can do that as well if I intermix. And this is just me talking my business with the pleasure, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I just think there needs to be an understanding if you're going to go into business that you can keep that. And that's a lot harder because we start to take things personally if we don't agree, because it's not just it's not just something, you know, insignificant. It's your business. It's your livelihood. Right. And that can enter, enter a mix with, you know, the relationships you have. So just be very careful. That's kind of my experience and why I'm tepid when it comes to familial or relationship friend type of kind of partnership. Thank And thank you for sharing those, uh, the vulnerability there,
1: but let's move into the insurance business of what you do today. and, And what, what is it that attracted you to the business early on? Because you, you mentioned that you, you had a failure, you went back into the corporate world, and then there was this, this this insurance thing. And and a lot of people probably listening to this show who are real estate investors um, don't maybe not understand the business of insurance. I certainly don't. Don't I have an insurance broker who works for me, and he he gives me advice all the time. All I know is the bloody things are going up. Uh, so, um, but but maybe you can talk a little bit about your niche and, and how you've created. Yes. Really, because you've got three best-selling books, you've got YouTube followers, you know, you've got the whole shebang in sure. and around insurance, and people are like, "Oh God, insurance must be stuffy and boring."
0: <laughs> yeah, and and it, it kind of is. I mean, to be honest with you, it's insurance. I mean, that's why they have lizards and birds for the logos for these companies because in <laughs> cartoons, because it's insurance. I mean, come on, you know, they got to do this stuff. Um, I got into this business completely, truthfully, read out of desperation. I mean, I couldn't find a job. I didn't want to sell insurance. Nobody dreams of selling insurance when they grow up. It's just was there and it was the only thing. And it just so happened that anything in the financial planning or financial world is, is full of money and full of opportunity for income. And I stumbled across the niche of what's called final expense. And in short, it's essentially selling older people enough life insurance to pay for final expenses like burial and cremation costs, which again, you may be thinking, well, okay, burials 10 or 15,000 is there money in that? Well, the thing in our market that's great is first of all, it's the senior market. If you're targeting anybody in the baby boomer market, 10 to 11,000 seniors turn 65 a day. Um, They're transitioning out of working life into retirement life and there's a mindset shift. They're more concerned about preservation versus accumulation and planning for their demise, you know? And so there's a huge desire and need because many people are ending up in retirement with much less than they ever figured. And there's a definite need for this kind of product because we know we're all gonna die. It's just a matter of when. And so uh, I just lucked out and stumbled across it. And, and the great thing about final expense insurance is it's a one call close. It's, it's not a technical sale. You either get the sale on the first call or you never get it. It's very activity oriented, meaning you buy leads, you go set appointments, you can close them over the phone, you can go see them face to face still. And um, you repeat that process. It doesn't take a lot of brain power. Uh, You just have to have discipline and work ethic. And it was very appealing to me as an entrepreneur because I could work, you know, I like working and I can follow a simple system. And so that was really the kind of as I discovered the real benefits to this business, which of course, as we'll talk later, I built into an agency to duplicate the process to help other people.
1: That, that, that's awesome, and and you you found a final expense. I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, <you're> right. <laughs> like, exactly. No, you, most you, people you, just you, stumble you, across it randomly. Right. You learn something new, um, but but I guess it is a big thing because a lot of people. Um, when you, when you come to the end of your life, you know, and and a lot of family members get burdened with with some pretty hefty bills, you know, 20, 15, 20, $30,000, depending on all the stuff that goes on with it. Um, But what I am interested in is what you just mentioned at the the end there, the agency, how did you go and create an agency from that and replicate what, what I really picked up on was simple systems that could be replicated over and over and over again in order then thus to create a system. So you can remove yourself from the system, Right.
0: Correct. Yeah. So um, let me kind of tell you the inspiration behind that to begin with, because the weakness of the system I'm describing here is you have to work to make money, which you may think like, well, what's wrong with that? That's normal. Well, there is the ability in the insurance business, much like other industries like real estate, where you can passively generate income. And so there's several ways to do it. You can do it on a product specific basis. Some products pay a residual or renewal income for life, like Medicare products. Whereas with final expense at the time, the way that you create residual or semi-passive income is by recruiting and building agencies and their agents and essentially duplicating what you know into them. And that's what I decided to do. Um, It was obvious to me. I love to work, but I might reach a point now I have four kids. I'm in my late or late 30s. Oh, God, uh, that I may not want to work as much. And I wanted to make income without necessarily having to grind it out in the field the rest of my life. So that's where the idea of the, the, the agency came from. And the, and the strategy is pretty simple. Um, There's a lot of people out there that hate their job. There's a lot of people out there that want to experience entrepreneurship and the benefits that can flow from it if you tap into it and do it the right way. But there's not a lot of people that know how to do it. They need a plan. They need a blueprint, you know, a process. And people in their research, like I had originally described, stumble across the insurance business. It just dawns on them that, hey, there's money in here. Wow, everybody needs insurance. So you got a huge pool of prospects, but they don't know how to make it happen. So eventually what people now do, and we can talk about this, I all of my lead generation is organic on YouTube. People find my content organically on YouTube, build a relationship with me watching my content and become inspired, to sell the stuff, and then eventually reach out to me. And then I recruit them, teach them the system. They go out there and sell. I make a cut of the difference to call it an override. So while I have agents right now working in the field, and when they make a sale, I'm going to make whatever the percentage is. Yep. But I've got that times several hundred. You know, it's, it's a great thing because they're doing the work. I'm just guiding them along the way. And I'm making a little bit from a lot of people. Talk, talk to me about the stumbling across of the lead gen and the
1: organic YouTube creation, because sure. you mentioned that's a strategy that a lot of, a lot of business owners, because they are so in the weeds and they're in the trenches, they don't have the self-awareness to say, stop. I need to create, I need to be the key person of influence and create the following and give the information away for free. So I can get the, the, the worker bees to come in, come into my sphere and then they can go off and produce pollen or, or collect pollen for me. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm the queen bee. If, I don't right. know why I said queen bee, but that's, you, oh, you, you're it. there, you're there creating the content. And, and that's not something that every business owner will just wake up one day and go, that's what I'm going to do. So how did you come into that sort of mindset to, 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 to separate and then go and share the knowledge with your, with your bees and so they can go off and make you money?
0: Well, so in our industry, there's this kind of feeling like, well, I don't want to give my, my system away. I want you to join me and then I'll give it to you. That's the traditional, normal way of thinking. But, you know, the problem we have in America, and I would say this is just a natural human thing, is is we don't trust anybody. Everything's subject to, you know, I don't know if that's quite true. And especially in insurance, there's probably viewers or or, or podcast listeners here that, frankly, have been in situations. They've seen insurance for themselves and others, and there's a big multi-level marketing culture It's rah, rah, recruit, and they kind of gives that vibe off. So people just don't generally trust what they're seeing a lot. And I looked at all this and I was like, you know, this is the old way of thinking. You know, now we're in a point where we've got to earn the right for someone to trust us. And what better way of doing that than giving away the vast, vast majority of training and content for absolutely nothing, for just people just stumbling across you, because what I thought at the time, and even I was resistant to the idea. I was like, this is crazy. But I felt like if I could give everything away, for the most part, some stuff I won't share unless you're an agent, but 97% of it I share. If if I gave that away, people are going to naturally pick up on the fact that I care about helping people and that if I'm giving away this free information, this information freely, imagine what it's like working with this guy on a partnership basis. And then if you compare that to my competition who give nothing away that show off the big cars, the Ferraris, the fat stacks of cash. I, I look, I think I come out a lot better looking and sounding than the try typical boring old rah-rah pitch. Mm-hmm. So um and that strategy has worked beautifully well. How um, long has that strategy been in place for? Boy, 2014. So I've been wow. I've been specifically on YouTube. I don't do much else. I do a lot of organic now on Google search, but my eighty percent of my business and agents recruiting come from YouTube, and and I've employed that for years and years and years, and it absolutely works. It absolutely works. Love it.
1: No, and I love that you've found and stumbled across that. I don't always say stumble across, but but the whole give it away for free. You'll then attract. A certain type of agent, as well. I would imagine, because yeah, y- if you're giving it away and they have that, you you come across as genuine. You're going to attract people who want to really, really be in your business because they like who you are as a person. Yeah, right. Rather than the cash and the cars and you know the houses and all that sort of bling which is all bs at the end of the day because they're probably just hiring it for the for the photo shoot but but at the end of the day you're setting up a system where you can ultimately remove yourself and you have an army of people out there because they love your methodology right they love your what you teach And I think that's so important to, to, regardless of the business, real estate, you know, insurance, selling a widget, you have to have a replicatable business and a process so you can go and attract the masses, attract people who can go out and do the work for you so you don't have to. And that is, it takes a lot of time and grinding. And I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this, that you're in the trenches. And then one day you're like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I need to, I need to think differently. And that is really, really powerful and something that I talk a lot about on this show, but I'm going to repeat it again because people don't seem to let it sink in when they, with their business. As they're growing, they feel like they're the bottleneck. And once you feel like you're the bottleneck, it's too late, and you have to go and create those business, uh, those strategies, and and training platforms to to, to to remove yourself from the system. So, very very awesome stuff. Talk to me about how it's grown over the last since 2014, and, and what, how many
0: agents do you have working for you today? And then really, where, where's the goal going? You know, for the next five to ten years. Sure. So it's funny, and this would be any advice to anybody that wants to do YouTube or any content creation. First of all, it's a multi-year process. Don't expect instant results. Some people get it, but that's the exception. I started really getting serious traction in YouTube after probably in 2017. Okay. So, so, so three years. Two and a half, three years. Now I was yep. getting, I was getting traffic, but it like, it's funny. Like if I pulled up my graph of it in analytics, you would see a this noticeable, almost doubling, maybe 75 to 100% increase in traffic, at least on a view basis from December 16 to January 17. And then it did it again from 18 to 19. It's just, it's just weird. And I just kept creating content. And um, from that, the lead started flowing. I, I, don't, I don't know. YouTube flips a switch. You know, they want to see if you're a consistent producer of content that provides value before they let the spigot out and then show you all over the place on any of these search terms that you're trying to compete for. So, um, yeah, it just, it really ramped up. It's been incredible. It just gets, keeps getting better and better. Um, You know, as far as agents recruit, I've recruited over several thousand since 2014. The real metric in our business is how many are actually selling every (laughs) month. Cause yeah, it's a business opportunity. It's not right for everybody for sure. sure. Um, several, uh, 150 to 200 sales agents are out there writing a, as little as one policy a month, as much as, you know, hundred plus, you know, there's, it's yeah. all in between there. So it's been, man, it's been great. That's awesome. And
1: what's a key, what's a KPI? So keep uh, performance indicator of one of your agents. Do you try to look for, as you just, you mentioned one sale a month up to hundred sales a month. What, what's a good sweet spot for your average uh, agent?
0: Well, like any organization, 80%, of the production comes from twenty percent of the agents, and so um, there's value from an agency recruiting, and even if they write a policy every week, two weeks, that's there's profit from that, and those agents are important for sure now. The question becomes where is the production high enough to warrant what I think in our business, you should be making a six figure income after your first full year in the business started the, somewhere between the second year in the business, et cetera. This business is tough emotionally. It's a lot of roller coasters. What we look for as far as what is our standard of success to hit that. If we're selling final expense, typically five policies a week, five policies uh, utilizing a, week. a direct mail lead system or Facebook generated lead system, typically if uh, at the commission levels and the production Activity required. If they get five a week at the end of the year, they should have a low six-figure income.
1: And, and you actually bring up a very interesting point that I I remember hearing uh, about a, a company actually my home in my home country of Australia um, talking about uh, what is it um, going out and franchising um, automobile mechanics, but mobile, and the whole business was really about the lead generation. That's what the franchise yes. is buying into, right? So people buy into you. Because of that lead gen. So, yes. what are you doing on your end, called uh, the headquarters, right? That keeps those generally besides the YouTube, but but has other organic traffic coming to the to, to your agents, so they can go off and do five five plans a, 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 a week and get to that six figures that you promised them. Because if you if you promise something and you don't deliver, then they're you're not going to have any right. the agents.
0: <laughs> right. Well, so. In the world of agents and the direct sales model, so the agents selling insurance to the insurance prospect, okay? We don't do any organic. Um, there is organic in our business, and it's the typical, do you have a pulse? Let me talk to you about insurance. Like, you know, friends, family, they don't call you anymore because you've bugged them. and So we don't do that because a lot of people just get turned off by that approach. But what we do are paid sources. And, and it's funny, the the single best source for leads for in 2021 is direct mail business reply card mailers. There may hmm. be people who are listening to this that don't even know that this thing actually exists, direct mail, but it's it's a profoundly effective form of marketing and it is-, and is, is, is sorry to interrupt you, is that because of the age of the demographic you're, you're, you're targeting? Exactly, so we're targeting demo, the demo we're targeting is 50 to 85. Sure. And And, and it's a little lower income working class And the type of people that that demo is more likely to respond to a direct mail because they've always had, you know, they had to before Facebook and pay-per-click and stuff. That's how they did business. And they carry those behavior traits in. But we love direct mail because um, if you're on Facebook, what do you do? You know, a lot of you probably Facebook market. Well, if you're on Facebook, you're wasting time arguing about politics, getting mad about some BS. (laughs) And then you see an ad and you click it and fill it out. And then you go back to wasting your time. Well, that's what our prospects do too. So when you call them up and try talking to them, if you ever get them on the phone, their recall rate is lower. The Mm -hmm. set rate for the appointments is lower. Whereas if we do direct mail, it's funny with direct mail, they have to walk and get the card out of the mailbox. They sit down and read it. They argue with their spouse if they have one about should we send this in? Is it a scam? And they go back and forth that we need life insurance. And they decide at every moment of this, they could have tossed it out, okay? They decide then to fill their name out, put their information on a card, and then walk it back. The recall rate and the engagement is measurably higher with direct mail because of that. So, when you call them back and say, hey, you sent this card back. It's my job to deliver the information about our plans. They're like, oh, yeah, I remember a lot of the times. Hmm. And they tend to be a lot more serious buyers, too, because they've seen these cards forever. Many times they've already filled it out in the past. And they know what it's about, so um, we love direct mail. That's the absolute best source.
1: And look, this is my—I don't do a lot of direct mail in, in my business, but is what's the percentage? Is it three to five percent return rate? Like what?
0: What typically? Oh gosh, it, I wish. <laughs> oh, really, <laughs> <laughs> that's one go. thing that's been bad. It's funny, and and this is not this is not a well kept secret. Direct mail, every sure. good agent does it. Yep. And there's a ton of influx of final expense agents because of the senior market. There's a lot more attraction to this. So response rates have been suppressed. And I think it's more of a, it's a direct mail problem. I think less and less people are responding to it. So, you know, it's always been bad, but it's not bad enough to where it's still not what, profitable. Like one, one to 2%? It depends. Like if I'm in Texas, 1% uh, percent's great. If I'm in Virginia, which I don't know why, you can get one and a half to 2%. Hmm. But the money, it's so it's, it's the investment required the question is what's your ROI ultimately yep. because it doesn't matter what the price is per se as long as the ROI is there what what's the price about. per lead you know yeah yeah cost per lead what's our commission level gross you mm-hmm. know what return do we get and that all still works out quite well even with suppressed response it's relative to 10 20 years ago got it okay Well, that,
1: that's and, and, and that's. It, I'm a data guy, right? Like I, I'm an engineer. That's my background. Like I okay. love yeah. seeing data and going, okay, well, if I just ran, if I just turn this knob right up, even if it is a 1% return ratio, well, I just need to go quadruple what I'm doing. Right. because That's a direct ROI of X. And I would assume it's exponential, right? Meaning you spend a certain amount of money, but then all of a sudden your leads because it because you're buying more mailers because your your cost per mail or your cost per lead becomes cheaper because you're doing more
0: of them, right? Yeah, your ROI sure. then goes up, right? Right. Would that, would that be a correct statement? Yeah, and you know what's cool too about this business is it's it's we there's a lot of talk about scale, especially like with, like with Facebook marketing. If you're sure. doing some kind of direct mail direct sales strategy, you can do that with direct mail. Um, maybe an agent starts with 20 direct mail leads. And then like you said, scales it up. But what one agent does to sell, you know, sit down with 20, some percentage of the 20 leads, they can quadruple their efforts as long as they want to work more. And likely the income will quadruple as well. So it's one of those unique businesses where it's it's where you make the money on scale. This is a a game of singles and doubles, not of home runs. Like Mm -hmm. you can sell annuities or very large life insurance policies that pay a lot of commission. But final expenses A lower commission, still significant, but you got to play, you got to swing the bat a lot. You got to get up to the plate and swing. And, And the best agents in this business are running 30, 40 appointments a week, face to face or over the phone, using this kind of direct mail strategy, some others as well. And they just do tons and tons of activity and their income's fantastic because of it.
1: Got it. Love it. Talk to me about your books and your YouTube channel, because as we come to the end of the show, I'd love to you know plug whatever you need to plug. But but, yeah. but what what was the, the the purpose behind creating the three best selling books?
0: Yeah. So uh, the first book I wrote was the official guide to selling final expense insurance. Uh, it really is, which would have been a great, you know, the average person is definitely picking that up, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, right. So um, the idea behind making the book was like, you've got a book, right? I mean, I think yep. I see it there and you know, when you, even in 2021, if you can say I wrote the book on that mm-hmm. kind of have some 100%. implied authority, right? That was my idea behind this. And so that's why I created the book. It gave me an authority Mm-hmm. As a as a content or influencer that I didn't have before that, and it, it's it's kind of and it works as a sales message, it's just not intended to be a sales message, but people know like and trust me because they read my. Con- it's just another way to convince people to do business over my competition. Yep. So so you know um, that was really the main inspiration behind it is just to say I'm an author. I'm somebody that is an expert because the book says so. I mean that's just what people imply. I'm. You know, you can think I'm an expert or not, but people think presumably if he wrote a book on it, you must know what he's talking about. And um, that was kind of the inspiration. Um, I, you know, at the time the, the other books, the, the second book is the blue book. It's the uh, uh, interviews with top, insur- top producing insurance agents. It kind of gives you I think there's are like 10, 15 and it been a while since we've written it. 10 or 15 compilations of interviews with six and seven figure insurance agents and agencies. So it's a great way for people looking at the business to kind of see, here's the people at the top, here's what they did to get there, you know, and then to kind of sample the different types of products you can sell. And then the last book I wrote was more of the, they call the official guide to selling insurance for new agents. Because again, one of the biggest problems in this business is that this business is full of a multi-level marketing uh, culture. There's mm-hmm. a mass recruiting, very little substantive training, raw, raw Kool-Aid drinking is the norm. <laughs> and it turns a lot of people off, understandably. But a lot of people don't catch on to this stuff till it's too late. And then they leave the business thinking it's a racket. So this book, The Official Guide to Selling Insurance, the idea behind it is, let me show you behind the curtain what's really going on, what questions you need to ask, what you need to look for. So you can actually find an agency that will help you Become a top producer because this business actually is great. You just got to find the right people to associate with. And it. no, it's not a blatant pitch for myself. Um, it's straight up advice on anybody that hey, then here are some factors you got to worry about and avoid.
1: Well, and I love and then for those people who are listening to the show, and a lot of people listening to the show are business creators, are wanting to be producers of something, typically in the real estate world. But attracting different leads through becoming an authority in as an author is great. And I love how you went from. Something so simple as your first book into then interviewing top producers. You didn't have to do a lot of ton of work. You would just like, hey, here is a, I'm going to put in a book. I'm going to publish something about an interview I met with these really cool people. I think people will, would like to read this or other agents would like to get some value out of it. And then the, the natural progression into cutting away all the BS and and showing the newbie agents and the salesmen how, and women how to, start in this business to avoid that rara. I think it's very, 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 very key for a lot of people, regardless of what you're selling to, 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 to create that content. And, and it sounds like you're doing extre- extremely well. Like with my books, it's, it's not about making a ton of money from the book itself. It's about being that authority in that industry and being an extension of your, your business card. Right.
0: Yeah. And you know, you may think, well, this is information people, sh- maybe they already know it, or am I being redundant, but there's always new people coming into any business or any industry and they know nothing. Yep. Part of the thing we see in insurance is these organizations, these MLM agencies, cultured agencies, they take that, they understand that they're smart. They take advantage of people's ignorance and it's just a rinse and repeat, you know, throw it up against the wall and see what sticks strategy. And, and always taking that role I found personally of being the advocate for the little guy, the agent, the person who doesn't know a lot, it affords you so much integrity and rapport with the person that may end up doing business with you. And it's, if you can set yourself aside as the, the, you know, the purveyor against BS, then, I mean, regardless of what you're in, uh, people want that people want, and that's the thing we're in a crisis of trust. And who do we trust? And this is just a problem we're all going through in in society. And and if you can take on a role of, Hey, this is the way you do it and you help people without anything in expecting in return, you will get a lot in return.
1: Yeah. No, I love it, mate. We'll go, and I love that what you said we're in a crisis of trust and it's all about being authentic and being vulnerable right. and yes. showing who you are because that will attract the certain type of lead that you as a business owner only want to deal with, right? You don't want, there's going to be people who pick up your stuff and pick up my stuff and be like, I don't want to freaking talk to this idiot. You know, that's like, great, don't talk to me. Right. <laughs> uh, you're only going to get the people who resonate with your message and resonate with who you are, which
0: is the power of creating content would you agree? Yeah. Con- content is king, guys. You all, every single person should be doing some kind of content. Uh, if you if if you don't think that you're any good at it, just go on YouTube. And look, look at some of these weirdos out there. Maybe me even. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> if I can do it. And I'm an introvert too. I mean, in all seriousness, um, you know, I don't like speaking in front of groups of people. I'm a homebody. I used to be really nervous doing this stuff. It's so natural and normal now. I've done thousands of these. You know, you can learn anything. You can develop Mm -hmm. the skill set for this. But content is what separates, because 95% of your your competition isn't going to bother because of their mindset. You know, oh, I'm not good enough and all this (laughs) crap. But if you do a piece of content once a week, uh, preferably more over time, I think, um, and you just stay at it, people will follow you. They'll creep on you. They'll watch you. And when the time's right, you know, you've been developing a relationship with them and you didn't know it, though. But when they reach out, they're like, "Hey man, I've been seeing your videos for months. So I'm ready to get started." And I get that daily now. And it's like, I don't even know these people, but they they'll do whatever I tell them to do because they trust me. Yep. And that's what content does. And I again, I'm a big advocate of YouTube because you're you're a celebrity in a sense, even though you're on YouTube, you're you have this celebrity like effect, and people just are more willing to do what you tell them to do, which in this business is great because a lot of people don't want to do what you don't, don't want to do to be successful. So do yep. content. In other words, it's well worth it. Creating, creating a tribe, right? And that's the, yeah.
1: uh, create people who just love everything you put down. So love it. David, last question before we end the
0: show is yeah, I asked you earlier, where, where's the business going in the next five to 10 years? Uh, where, where do you see it? So our business is profoundly simple. You just find people who are a good fit for the agency and you keep building them up, duplicating yourself and just, just, leveraging that system, compounding it. So the way I look at my business now is I'm going to continue to be an influencer. We've now branched out of final expense. We we still do final expense, but we also have gotten another senior products like Medicare. That's a really great product. That's residual based. 11,000 new people start Medicare every day for the next 10 years. There's a huge untapped opportunity in helping people with Medicare and developing passive income. We're getting into the annuity retirement space helping people with their money to give them safe money alternatives to the stock markets ups and downs. Um, you know I do a little info product business, um, you know joint venture affiliate stuff as well, open-minded to that stuff. So it's really just more of the same. And I just think with the trends of baby boomers retiring, with the amount of people getting older that still need personal hands-on help, I think this business is just going to get better and better. And the good news is all this stuff with COVID, all of the shutdowns economically has not even affect this period. It's been, uh, you know, when you're told you're going to die the whole time, you, you <laughs> want to buy life insurance, it turns out. So it's just been, it's been pretty good.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome, mate. Well, at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. Are you ready to get into it? Yes, let's go. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
0: Write my goals down, follow them, execute, rinse and repeat. Love it. Love it. Question number two is, who's the
1: most influential person in your career to
0: date? My father.
1: Love it. Question number three, what is the most influential tool in your business that you use on a daily basis? And when I say tool, it could be physical, like a phone or a journal, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without.
0: I love Calendly. Calendly. I I, I don't have to set my own appointments. Everybody does it. I just Point, and click and call. It's it's, uh, it's the best tool ever. <laughs> love it.
1: Love it. Uh, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? And what did you learn from that failure or that, that mistake?
0: I failed selling insurance after a year in, and I learned that the, what Brian Tracy calls it's, it's I am responsible and following the fundamentals of any business is critical to success. And when you get away from them, like I did, you're going to fail. Got it.
1: Love it, mate. Final question is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation they want
0: to be in your sphere? Where do they go? Thank you, Reed. So, two places. You can go to YouTube. Just put in my name, David Duford. You'll see a bunch of videos that way. Just start clicking around and watching them. And then you can always go to my website. I got lots of uh, really good content. You can learn more about my business at davidduford.com. Awesome stuff,
1: mate. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. And I think the, the big thing that I took away was, you know, being able to, you know, the crisis of trust and building up a brand, regardless of what you're in. You're in the insurance business. We talk a lot of, to, to a lot of real estate investors on this show, to a lot of CEOs, to a lot of startups. It's all having a common thread of building a brand that is around trust and transparency and then going out and creating replicable, uh, replicatable systems so you can attract the right type of, in your case, agents to go off and do the hard work for you and you can remove yourself from the bottleneck. And so many people who interview on the show are sole entrepreneurs, they love that, they never let go. And learning to let go, I think is the big thing that you've really come into your own in the last, since 2014, through the content creation piece that has helped you scale your business. Um, did, did I leave anything out there? That's pretty, pretty good. well mate again thank you so much for jumping on this show enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very very soon
0: thanks reed bye
1: well there you have it a cracking interview with david if you do want to get involved with any of his stuff head over to davidduford.com or search his name in youtube it'll come up with all the topics that he talks about in the insurance industry. He's a guy that is well, well versed in it. And there's such an incredible story of building something in a systemized business out of nothing. Uh, I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you podcast. And we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.